Hi, Bailey. Thanks for joining me. Oh, absolutely. Happy to be here. This is a time when people are really craving the arts and humanities the most. I'm seeing so many studies and statistics and data showing that people are reading more books and streaming more shows, concerts, performances. They're downloading more music. All of these things rely on the work of creative people, on artists and writers. But what is the experience right now as you see it for writers themselves and artists themselves? They're terrified. There's no way to sugarcoat that. People who work in the arts, um, especially anything that involves performance where performers being in the same space is required or having an audience uh, elevates the experience, they're terrified because it's not only that, we'll just use Broadway um, as an example for right now, it's not just that Broadway is shut down. And as of now, we don't know when it will start up again. Who is going to show up to that theater? Who is going to want to be packed into a house of a thousand other people? Mm. And what would it take for people to feel secure? What does the business plan need to look like? And then for actors, um, going into a rehearsal room is a very intimate experience where they get really close. Is that going to impede their performance moving forward? If we go even further back to the writers and the composers, they can do a, a decent amount over technology now, which is great. But working with a singer in the same room or sitting, if you have a composer and lyricist sitting together or a real production meeting, you can't replicate that over a Zoom meeting as much as we love our Zoom meetings. Mm -hmm. So, and then we could take it back to the producers and further and further. But it's really scary looking at a landscape that is just completely uncharted. We're really at, at a new frontier here because even when the industries come back, what are they going to be? Completely. Yeah, completely. What I want to ask you about here is some of the advice and insights that you have for artists because you have such a a distinctly um, important and unique um, and specialized kind of knowledge about the arts and about the financial world. And I'd like to ask you a bit about what you tell people in a way that is both realistic and also hopeful. What do you think is the most important thing that someone can do initially? I've heard you say that you advise people to do less. Tell me more about what that means. Um, so I like to, to tell my clients outside of our initial planning work, I'm extraordinarily boring <laughs> as, as a financial advisor. And I tell them that they want me to be boring because if my advice were changing all of the time, then it probably wouldn't be good advice to begin with. Advice, especially financial advice, should hold up under the most amount of circumstances. So if things are working, that's a, that's a good thing. And this really is a blip. 
It's an uncomfortable and awful blip, for sure. But the economy has always come back. We haven't known what it was going to look like many times. There have been black swan events over and over throughout our history. <laughs> Things that we could never see coming. And yet once they happen, when we look back, we see the exact trail to how that was obviously what was going to occur mm -hmm. at that time. Mm -hmm. And we're even starting to do that now. Mm -hmm. That's like pure Aristotle. It's like his idea of surprising yet inevitable. This is like true mm -hmm. to the artistic form. Yeah. <laughs> and so to follow on that, everything is true to the artistic form, <laughs> really. Um, I think the arts are going to be a good way for people to, to deal with what's happening, both the people who are creating it and the people who are uh, taking it in. I wouldn't even like taking it in. They're like gasping for it like mm. air because what else are we doing and how do we occupy ourselves under such crazy circumstances mm. um so as much as people are terrified which i think is you know a good place to start if we weren't scared right now we'd be missing something maybe looking around the country we all have our opinions about people who may be missing something mm -hmm. so it's good to acknowledge that we feel fear for a reason and you want to acknowledge what you're feeling that for and then go, all right, so I take you in and now I move forward. Financially, people fall into one of three categories I'm finding. One is they're doing really well with money. They might still have some income coming in, whether that's unemployment, or passive income, or just they still have good income coming in from wherever they are. Some theater companies are still open and able to pay people. Production companies, really all over the places, uh, people are still employed. So for people who are doing well, who have ample savings, who have investments, um, this is a good time to get into investing. The markets are low. So if you're the right person, this is a, it's a great opportunity. And that's not just for the, the 1%. We think that it is, but it's not. There are mutual funds that will let you start investing for as low as, I believe, $100 is the lowest one I've seen. Now, I'm not here to tell you if they're good or bad or if you should or shouldn't do that. But just know that it's, it's open to people. So you don't have to wait until you have tens of thousands of dollars uh, might be an option that's on the table sooner than that. And this is a great chance to start uh, or continue that journey. Then you have people who may have an income still, or they may be living off savings, but they're fine. They're not great. They're not bad. They're fine. And that's really where the do nothing comes into play. Mm -hmm. Just do nothing. Mm-hmm. Don't do anything crazy. You're not the person who should invest. You're not the person who should refinance your house, probably. Uh, it's not the time to take a home equity line of credit, most likely. Again, none of this is specific advice uh, to anyone. I have to put my disclosure, disclosure, disclosure. Right. So yeah, there's that middle patch. And then there are the people who are really struggling, 
who may be on unemployment, who may be looking at dwindling savings accounts or savings accounts that never were. And this is a time to take stock, first of all, and I would throw this back up the chain of what the expenses are, what you can cut, and maybe be a little bit more harsh with yourself about what you really can cut. Because I think now people are seeing that maybe we don't all need to be living this American consumerism dream. Mm. What do we need? But in all of those cases, don't do anything drastic out of the fear. That's, that's not the motivator. And hopefully you have someone to talk to. And I'd say work it out with someone to make sure that what you're doing about money isn't an emotional response. Hmm. Because when we make emotional decisions about money, there's a significantly higher chance that we will make a bad decision about money. Are you seeing from clients that there's a certain category of expenses that they're realizing they actually are perfectly fine going without? I mean, a lot of people are having to completely refigure how they eat. Hmm. Um, so, you know, a lot of people would go out to restaurants on a very regular basis. And when you go out to a restaurant, or at least when I go out to a restaurant with my friends, there are appetizers, there are drinks, and then we all politely pass on dessert like we haven't just ingested every <laughs> calorie in the restaurant. But people aren't doing that. Well, there, having, there isn't the gathering to begin with. Right. So if you can't gather, you're not going to spend money like that. There are these little expenses that add up. It's nothing big for most people. But a good thing to do is start where we always start with budgets. Go back through your, and this one will be interesting, your last three months of bank statements. The last month will be missing a lot of things. Mm. See how much it's missing. And then maybe start, if you have an income, saving that much, or at least trying to. And if you're struggling without an income, see what's left. See if there are different priorities you can use. Mm. take a quick break and talk to you about financial wellness. The term wellness is often associated with meditation retreats and skin treatments, but really wellness just means health and stability, whether that's physical, emotional, mental, or financial. IFWA, the Institute of Financial Wellness for the Arts, is a company that is specifically dedicated to the well-being of artists, and their team of financial coaches and advisors are trained to help artists manage their money and plan for their futures. Because many artists are paid project to project, they don't always think about long-term planning. There's also that long-standing myth that because artists live to create, it somehow means they're not thinking about their finances. The advisors and coaches at IFWA are passionate about art too. That's why they're devoted to giving artists the tools, vocabulary, resources, and know-how to navigate their careers with confidence and manage their money in smart ways. And with IFWA, you can work with an advisor at no cost. All categories of artists are welcome. Musicians, actors, playwrights, designers, dancers, directors, and on and on. 
check out the ISWA to reserve a meeting with a financial coach and ensure that you're on track for a successful financial future. And now back to the podcast. Are there specific money managing websites that you recommend? Not really. I I deal with um, proprietary ones with uh, with my clients, so I'm not as familiar or as big a fans uh, as ones of as uh, of the ones other than the ones that I use. Uh huh. Um, so sites like say, like Mint or something. Mint is really helpful. Um, and if you're really, if you're going through and organizing, um, months past and what you were spending on things, that'll be a great tool. It helps to organize everything. Some of the banks offer it inside of itself. Um, I will offer to, to any of your listeners, if they want, I will share with them my budgeting spreadsheet that I use with clients. It's, Ooh, that's it's an Excel. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. Um, Should people email you? Yeah, they can get in touch with me directly. Just mention this. I'll uh, do a quick Zoom and explain how it works. That's uh, it's, it's the one that I found the most helpful. It's What I don't like about Mint is that it talks about what's already happened, and that's what most financial software does. The way that this is designed is to help project forward, what income might be on the horizon, what costs might be on the horizon, so that you can really plan for the future instead of going, oh, man, I just spent too much. So that that's the big one. Also, since we've got nothing but time, everyone should be checking their bank statements on their apps every day. See what's going in and out every day. It's just like losing weight. You got to actually count something. Mm-hmm. You have to know how far you go, how many reps you do, the calories you eat, but do it in a healthy way. Never should it become an obsession. Right. That's or like your financial advisor. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it's really amazing how you can go check out your bank statement or check out a money managing website and see what you've spent in the past week. And you're like, no, I didn't. And then you see the breakdown. Yeah. <laughs> I used to have clients do uh, between my first meeting and my second meeting with them, which was always uh, a week or two. I'd say just track everything that you spend. We either make a list in your phone or take a little notebook write it down and everyone would come in with the next meeting and they would just kind of sprawl across my desk and go, Oh, this week was different. I'd say, Oh, what happened this week? And it would either be, I needed a new audition dress. Uh, It was a friend's birthday. It was mother's day, a friend's getting married. And so each time I, I would say, is this the only time this year that something like that would happen Mm. and of course they'd say no I go well then I guess we should probably budget for it even though it seems like a singular event and that this week was different just because the same thing didn't happen last week Uh and I would say the other thing 
that I've been thinking about a lot recently is things still go wrong even when everything else is already going wrong. So what I mean is that we see ourselves in just a catastrophic situation as a country, but that doesn't mean you're not going to break your leg. Uh It doesn't mean you're not going to get into a car accident. All of the normal things that can go wrong can still go wrong. And we sometimes lose sight of that, probably because it's super depressing. But it is important to remember that if you've been waiting to buy your renter's insurance, go get your renter's insurance. If you've been waiting to get your estate planning documents, your will, power of attorney, healthcare proxy, you want to get those right now. It's maybe never been more important for people to have all of their legal documents surrounding their health care. Yeah. If you've been meaning to get life insurance, do it. These things don't, don't stop just because the world sends you something worse. Mm, yeah. Which it sounds awful. I'm, I'm sorry to everyone who's <laughs> listening. I have better stuff to say, I promise. Well, you have such a unique approach to resiliency as it lends itself to financial advice that you give because you've had to roll with the punches so much. And I think the 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 life incident that I that you've talked about previously in other interviews uh, regarding um, an accident that made you shift from stage managing to finance is something that I'm sure at the time seemed insurmountable and then has led to a really prosperous career and probably really good advice that you can give to others. Do you feel like the kind of resiliency that you had to build for yourself has factored in to the career advice that you now give toward your clients? Absolutely. Um, Sometimes with the things that I've come up with in life, I feel kind of like a ping pong ball, uh, just like back and forth. And then I finally found my home, but just having to kind of dust myself off. And now I I really go through things with, all right, what's the worst that could happen? Mm -hmm. And and with the, I like I truly mean it because I've been in situations where medically there's there's not a good reason that I should still be alive. Mm. So what's the worst that can happen? And you, I go through that with clients and friends. Do you think that in in a maybe paradoxical way thinking about negative outcomes can make you more positive and productive by saying, I'm going to take these actions. I'm going to um, do this kind of safe investing. I'm going to get home insurance. I'm going to get a, a, a will, a living will. All those things can make you have a, a better sense of control because you've thought about the negative outcome. Is that something absolutely. that's factored in? Yeah, absolutely. Knowing that you have, I mean, insurances are boring, but knowing that you have them and that you have them right, when you wake up in the middle of the night, like we all do, and ruminate on whatever we're ruminating on, it's nice to know that every so often, like two of the things on your checklist 
to drive yourself crazy about, you've already taken care of. Yeah. And you get that moment of relief of, oh, you're welcome, me. I took care of that. <laughs> and I actually take a minute to like thank myself and actually to be to be grateful for that. You've gone into a field uh, finance with no educational background in that field, but you've brought with you so many of these other skills from other reaches of life that I think can only have have helped you. I mean, you have to learn the the basics of the field, obviously, of finance. But besides the resiliency that came from unexpected life occurrences, <laughs> you also have this substantial background in stage managing for the theater, which is a field that is so known for better or worse as being um, one of like obsessive organization. Of, like there's the joke of how many stage managers does it take to screw in a light Got bulb? It. It's done. Yeah. <laughs> So tell me about that as the, as a professional building block toward a field that you didn't even think you had any interest in. What, what I've realized as I, as I've gone through careers and I've gone through careers, not really by choice. I've loved all of my careers um, is I have the same skill set. It's just being pointed in a different direction. Mm. So as a stage manager, I had a director who would come to me and say, this is the vision that I want to put together. And I would listen. And I would go home and I would make lists and I would put things together and I would try to figure out the best way to incorporate the rest of the design team and get everyone to exactly where they wanted to be in the safest, most efficient way with everyone having the best time they could possibly have. Mm. Now, that one was clearly third on the list because it's a business, but businesses go better when people are happy. Mm -hmm. So that was stage managing. I was also a massage therapist briefly uh, before my car accident. And for that, I had someone come in and tell me what was hurting in a small portion of their body. And I would have to do an analysis of the whole body, a quick little organizational check checklist, and then help them get their body back to where they wanted it to be in the safest, least painful, most efficient way that had them get off the table happy. Mm-hmm. Now, I have clients come to me, and they tell me what they want with their money, with their lives, and I listen, and I see if we need any other experts, and then I put together strategies with them that help them get where they want to go in the safest way that'll take them in the smoothest path to get there with them being as happy as possible along the way. None of those people are going to be happy all the time. And some of them actually have been in all three positions, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of funny now that I'm thinking about it. Um, <laughs> but that's it. That, that is my skill. I can analyze a situation pretty quickly. 
I can communicate with people in a way that makes them feel comfortable, or so I've been told. And through the management, and I, this is some of the great education I got, I would even go far as back, far back as to say the camp counselor, that training. It's the same skill set. And I would, I would bet that most people who have changed careers, if they could pick a couple that they liked and boil it down to the essentials, it's probably the same skill sets for each. Yeah. What I think is true about all of the fields you've just named is they necessitate that you be unflappable. Like you are a, a like the steady, the steady calm in that's like impervious to the hysteria around you or the emotions around you. So if there's nervousness and high stakes emotions and anxiety on stage, the stage manager has to be calm, fully in control, organized, everything is already done. And that's completely the same thing for the financial advisor. So all of that is amazing given the other part of your life, which is the resiliency. It's really pretty amazing. <laughs> That you don't say to your clients like, oh, you think you've had an unexpected life event? Like, that's pretty You know, great. It's, it's the things that, that you work through. It's kind of, when I had my car accident, I mean, as ridiculous as this sounds, I literally kicked my way out of the car and then kind of preset my own arm because I had just finished my first aid class that day. Wow. And so when I look around and things are doing this, it's like, yeah, it's awful. It could be worse. For some people, it is the worst. For a lot of people, it's not the worst. Mm -hmm. And I think that that all of those those things have really given me context in a way that I, I would never have for the span of what people can do. And it's put me in a place where I can be very, very calm. The more anxious people around me get, the calmer I get. But I, ha I, I do have an emotional reaction to it. Uh, it's just very, very delayed. What do you think is is a, a smart, healthy approach for for artists and creative people who who want to create, who want to find their way to the form that they love? Um, but but it's tough to know if they should start offering virtual classes or if they should connect with other like minded people through FaceTime because it's it's such a, a tenuous state right now when some people are, are hurting and don't want to be contacted. Like it's for people who have the craving to do the work. How do you think they should start and kind of find their way to one another? I think starting in the small communities, um, which is just a really hoity toity way of saying, talk to your friends mm. um, is a good place to start. There has been a huge uh, influx of 
people starting to teach. And unless you're a teacher and are qualified to teach, you shouldn't teach. Just because you're a trained singer doesn't mean that you're a voice teacher. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you don't have other skills with your voice that you can't teach. But you really want to stay uh, stay in your, not stay in your hole, but um, stay where you're needed. And I think there, there always is a place where people with talent and heart and initiative are needed. I think new media will create new art forms and new theatrical forms. We may have to come up with a new definition for theater. We may have to uh, come up with a new type of theater the same way we had first, you know, cable news and then we had the HBO, which is not cable, as they told us right. over and over again. Now we have all of the streaming platforms. Theater, and I have said this, I don't even know how long. Theater hasn't changed basically since the Zigfield Follies. Not that much. It's produced in the same matter. We have sets. We have ladies. We have guys, they dance, they sing on a stage, we pay money. Some people pay a lot of money, some people pay less money. Sometimes we sit on, you know, the stage, sometimes we don't. But it's the same. It's the same structure. So this could be a really interesting time for innovative theater that can start now but even transition further online, uh, further when we get to move it offline. I mean, well, yeah. Um, I mean, in the, in the, we, I mean, it's already been like six weeks or something that people have been indoors. So I think in the first wave of it, maybe like one, two, three weeks in for people who are dancers and singers, there's such a craving just to just to, 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 to do the form that you love and that you're trained and that you're so good at and just to put it out there. So people are doing all kinds of things on, on YouTube, which is free, of course. And maybe the next wave will be a more like rarefied offering of it where you have to pay something. And it's not necessarily a lot, but it, it offers the the artist some way to be compensated both for their sense of self and identity and to have some of that money coming in um yeah. one thing that i really liked that you had said previously um in another conversation was that artists right now and this is maybe true for anybody who's finding their professional world shift is to take a look at what they do and then take a slight step to the right or the left what do you think that could look like in this new form in a hopefully positive way? I'm not really sure, but I, I'm fascinated to see. I think that's where the, the creative genius lives, which is why I, I'm not sure. It takes, I used to work uh, as a stage manager once or twice with Alex Timbers, the director. Mm-hmm. And 
it was amazing watching him direct because nothing he did was what I thought was going to happen. Nothing. And that way, that's what makes him a genius. That you just, no one else sees things the way he does. And I think it's going to take people allowing their minds that kind of freedom to see where this can really go. Um, and to circle around to what you were saying about getting uh, actors being paid for the performance stuff they're paying on YouTube, I think that's critical so that we don't just redefine what a starving artist is. Mm -hmm. If everyone's putting everything out for free, you're saying that this art doesn't have value enough for me to charge you for it. Mm -hmm. And this is a great chance, and I've said it a couple of places now, to really eliminate the starving artist mentality. What can the actors and the artists and the dancers, the painters, everyone, the musicians, how can you make it a business? And I think this is just an amazing opportunity. There is a new platform that you're being forced into. Uh, with things that are online, there are multiple platforms uh, to that effect. So what could that be? What could you offer? How can you move people in ways you haven't before? What is, I signed up for Broadway HD just so I could watch Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. <laughs> but yeah, I think as much as people are who love live performance are craving being in the theater or being in the concert venue. And I crave it so much myself. I also think the the desire to see the art and to see the talent is still there. And all the people at home, I mean, they want it even more so because now their nights are spent indoors and to pay for it is to say, this is worthwhile. It's the same thing for journalism. It's to say like, I recognize the work that went into it. And I think it's, it's worth charging. <laughs> it's worth paying for. And I, I love that you've totally like dismantled the idea that artists should be okay with not making money. That that's like such a horrible fallacy that somewhere along the road they picked up as a rational thing to believe. So I've definitely kudos been quoted. To you. <laughs> I've been quoted as saying it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> it is like in what other industry do you show up and go, oh no, you don't have to pay me at all. I'm happy for people just to see my face. <laughs> well I think no. I think sometimes with the arts there's like a like a purity uh myth to it. Uh but I think that's also so ridiculous because even the greatest actors of our day have done voiceover for something animated. <laughs> so I think like the jig is up on that. They can still yeah. do Shakespeare. <laughs> and it's not, it's not about capitalism in case anyone is thinking, oh, this is about selling out. Not. It, you're not going to price gouge for, for what you're charging. 
I would assume. It's not like you're putting up a five-minute video as someone who's relatively unknown and saying, hey, you have to pay $100 for this. You could charge $5 for it. Mm -hmm. That's fine. It's about having a perceived value of the art on the outside and on the inside. And it's the way that we change the industry. It just, it really is. Um, but yeah, that was some, even that. It's a perfect time to just try stuff. You know, throw it against the wall. If it's not costing you money, why not try it? What's the worst that can happen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, back to that advice. Yeah, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. Are you going to get laughed off the internet? <laughs> I don't think anyone has so far. We're all watching Tiger King. So <laughs> you'll yeah. be fine. Yeah. Um, Bailey, thank you so much. You are such a source of wisdom in a lot of fields. Uh, but I think in how to regroup from this. And I hope that all artists out there can kick the car door open and um, see what comes next. Yeah, I I can't wait to see what the arts community comes up with because the arts have never failed us. Not once. Since cave drawings, the arts have never failed us. (laughs) Thank you so much, Bailey. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And follow Places Everyone on Twitter. Podcast production and original music by Cody Crabb. Artwork by Jennifer Klockner. See you next time.